0: One of my thoughts, too, was I do not want to be tied to a specific geographic location or a specific desk in a specific building that I need to be at, you know, five days a week from, you know, the hours of nine to X, Y, Z. So building this outsourced business that really can be managed from the Internet, um, despite being a very physical product that is emotional and people like to enjoy in person was uh, part of the madness or something we were thinking about when designing it.
1: My name is Demetri and I'm a productivity and systems
2: enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and self-development enthusiast.
1: And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets business. And what it means to build better systems. Enjoy the show. Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Rise Productive Podcast. In today's episode, we have Andrew, Andrew Bueller. How are you doing? Jesus Christ.
0: I'm great, you. I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm doing wonderful. And also, Chance is uh, in for this episode as well.
2: I'm present. It's uh, not been the trend recently with the guests, but happy to be here.
1: TLDR, I finally just made the booking uh, time for people when he's available, which would have made sense in the first place. Who would have thought? Um, it took an but, angel yeah. to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, Andrew, really excited to have you on. I'm curious uh, as to well, no, the audience is curious as to what you've been up to, what you do. So I'd love if you could give a intro as to your story and how you got to this point.
0: Yeah, happy to do so. Um, again, my name's Andrew Bueller. I'm born and raised in the Chicagoland area. Um, currently reside in New York City. Um, went to school up in Maine. Went to Bates College, where I studied uh, economics and, and Chinese language, and um, originally pursued a career in financial services, spent 10 years working at a, a couple of different firms on wall street here in New York. And, um, I think COVID was kind of that natural, uh, self-reflection period for a lot of people. We all were spending um, a little bit more time at home and a little bit less time uh, with others. I was kind of thinking about, Hey, um, you know, is this what I really want to do. Um, you know, we're kind of 10 years into a career. Um, what are we going to do for the next 20 or 30 years? And, um, I always was really passionate about food in college. I was, uh, the head of something called, uh, the Bates college competitive eating club and, uh, and, and high school, um uh, yeah. I, I, I uh, uh, was president of the grilling society. Like I hosted an annual pig roast for the school was always doing fun. Like kind of just like big barbecues and tailgates and things like that. Nice. And, um, also during COVID, especially if you live in a place like New York city or a place with a lot of apartment buildings, you kind of progressively see, uh, more and more Amazon boxes piling up in everyone's lobby and sure. uh, just began tinkering with different ideas that involved kind of e-commerce and food and um, landed on urban smokehouse which is uh, the pre-cooked barbecue foods brand i'm currently running um started that company in 2022 with a with a kickstarter campaign in july and the uh, the business officially went live about a year ago in september of 2022 and uh we're doing well we originally started with just one product originally just sold ribs
2: uh, mm-hmm. started
0: selling brisket as well as of, uh, last week. So we're, we're a two product company now and, uh, and hopefully going to become a three, four and five one, uh, soon, but I'll, I'll pause there and, uh, see if you have any questions.
1: <laughs> Dude, all I got to say is, first of all, great idea. I mean, who doesn't want barbecue and when we were stuck in your, when we were stuck in our homes, I mean, grilling and going outside probably frowned upon. And especially with like the lack of grills and whatnot, Oh my god! I'm. By the way, I'm just. I looked at your website earlier, and I have to say, whoever shot your B-roll slash not, I don't even call it B-roll, whatever that shot this commercial and the slow motion stuff of the cooking process, yeah, is so good. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting me hungry, and I just ate.
0: <laughs> hey, pictures, pictures help sell food, so it's good to have important. Uh, it's important to have good pictures and video. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Dimitri, you got any? Uh, I mean, I, this is the first like I don't know. I'm, this is the first like brick and mortar. I think this is a uh, yeah.
1: I'm actually curious. Okay, so this is like definitely maybe more in the weeds. Question I had regarding uh, business immediately. So sure. I'm curious what ended up making you go from a one product company in a year and then feel that a there was demand for a second product and B like you were ready to make that change because I'm sure it increased the operational complexity. Yes, yeah, so I think there's a uh, couple. More than di- you'd admit. Yeah.
0: There's a couple different things. Um so the vision um and you know I call it the 10-year vision is eventually to have an all-encompassing menu. Um, sure. Know, we want to have multiple entrees, multiple, you know, accompanying sides. We want to be the person that says, "Hey, you know, we're having a big barbecue or tailgate or party this weekend, you know, let's go to urbansmokehouse.co and buy everything that we're going to be serving." mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And potentially even also ultimately sell some of those products and a uh, retailer food service. Um, so we started with ribs. Um, cause I think ribs are like one of the most iconic barbecue dishes and also something that's like yeah. time intensive and labor intensive. So there's an argument of like, do I have a smoker? Do I want to cook something for, you know, five plus hours? Um, most people probably want to make dinner in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of a non-starter for a lot of people. And, um, brisket really like doubles down on that thesis of like time intensive sure. and labor intensive. Yeah. It, uh, it takes even longer than ribs. And so that, th- those were kind of th- these two products we currently have, I envision being really like the flagship products. Um, ultimately when we start selling like pulled chicken or just sides of barbecue sauce or, or tasty sides, um, those are arguably things that you'd probably be more comfortable making yourself from scratch. Cause they're not going to be as painful, but like, Ribs and brisket are like the two super iconic dishes that are also like the biggest pains in the ass to do yourself. So it was always the idea to like, this was going to be product one and two. The question was, what order? And once we have like a really, 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 really strong brand value around those, adding some of those dishes that fit the barbecue theme, but maybe don't fit that convenience pitch anymore, where hey, this is time intensive, labor intensive. I don't want to do this myself, but you're coming to me for the ribs and the brisket and I'm giving you everything else.
2: Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) Super interesting. And I, I do apologize, but uh certified vegetarian here. And so I'm not going to pivot away from talking about the product just because uh, just for that, but I am really curious. And I think that a lot of people share this kind of sentiment with just like uh, a general lack of like knowledge on how to cooking. I think there's, you know, you say there's the time and the effort, but I think also part of it is a lot of people being a recent college graduate, I've seen people try to cook meat and there's a lot of fear and a lot of mistakes And so I have to imagine that that has to be part of the process too. But um, just stepping back as someone who knows nothing about this, what was it like to, I guess this is kind of twofold. One part is uh, how are we building this business? You step away from being an investor and what did those Mm -hmm. initial steps look like? Just because this podcast is mainly about documenting a lot of the rice productive business and how this is developing. And so seeing where you're at in that phase, but then I'm also curious a little bit more about how you even learn to start to think about this product um but take tackle this as you will yeah yeah no
0: twofold question um and actually i'm gonna throw in a third variable too so like one and i really focused on time there two you're asking about like skill or know-how and then three Mm -hmm. is like equipment which is why like we i always joke like the name is like urban smokehouse like we're bringing like the barbecue or the smokehouse to the city because if you live in an apartment building or a condo or something like that you likely don't have an outdoor space like you definitely don't have a yard Maybe you live in like an amenity building that has like a shared gas grill on the roof for like the entire building, but like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: th- there's I've yet to find the building that has the communal smoker or the shared smoker. Nah, nah, <laughs> um,
2: no,
0: <laughs> so th- 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 this type of food like is also just like the the like it sounds ridiculous when I say like there's an accessibility issue, but like if you live in an urban environment, like y- you likely just can't make these types of things. Um, And so it's almost like if you're planning a trip to Texas or KC or the Carolinas, people almost view it as like a highlight of the trip. Like, oh, we're going to try some real barbecue or like have some authentic barbecue and we travel to these places. So really the pitch was like, you don't have the time. You don't have the know-how. You don't have the equipment. Let's do all of that for you. Vacuum seal it, put it on ice and ship it to you. So the product is technically safe to eat on delivery. But you can finish it in your oven, on your grill, in an air fryer, in a microwave, really whatever device you have in a much more convenient time frame and take away the whole like skill and equipment components. Um, and so that's kind—that of, that's like the three pieces of the pitch. And the biggest one's time. And that's the one I always lead with. But those other two components are also like particularly strong. And the other two probably apply directly to people that live in like cities or more urban environments. Whereas like the time save applies to like everyone and anywhere. Um, and I forget the second half of your question. So I'll, I'll pause there and ask you to say it again, if that's okay.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, that was all great. I'm more so now curious about, um, making the transition What that transition from 10 years and being an investor towards making this business. I love the the story, yeah. the background. I'll ask you more about the eating competitions because <laughs> I'm a fellow fanatic of that, but, um, Same. I'm curious what that initial transition and building out of that business looked like.
0: Yeah. So, um, was very uh methodical and intentional in kind of how we built the business and so there were like a couple things that I wanted to like make sure we were there one, I wanted the business to be able to scale very easily I didn't want it to be something where it's like okay we're we're selling you know fifty racks of ribs or hundred racks of ribs a day or a week and like there's an inability to go to a thousand or to ten thousand or to, you know to to grow quickly mm-hmm. um and then the other piece that I was very intentional about was um not investing in a lot of like people and equipment and, 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 mm-hmm. and, and, you know, hard assets initially and um, kind of proving the business model and then basically outsourcing everything. And as you get bigger, slowly but surely bringing more things in house. Um, and so, how we did that is a couple different ways. So, one, we did a Kickstarter campaign or a crowdfunding campaign, which is, I, I think, a great tool for anyone that wants to sell a product. Um, rather than a service mm-hmm. advocate, because rather than investing in inventory before you actually sell anything, you collect orders before you have inventory. It's basically pre-orders. It's pre-sales. Mm-hmm. So if I can go on the internet and say, it, our Kickstarter goal was, I think, uh, $25,000 and we did a little over 30 grand in our 30-day campaign, but it was great because I then was able to go and start making the product with $30,000 in my pocket rather than, Having no money, making a product, and then trying to sell it, and especially in food, the product's ultimately perishable. It can go bad. Yeah. So you make it, you wanna you wanna sell it pretty quickly. Nobody wants to eat ribs that were cooked, you know, six months ago or a year ago. I wanna I wanna make it and sell it this week. Sell it, you know, sell it as soon as possible. And so, um, particularly for this business, I think like crowdfunding or doing pre-orders was like really beneficial because it uh, reduced the financial constraint on me made it, made us confident that people actually wanted the product and, um, and just really kind of like de-risked the whole thing for, 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 for some of that startup cost for, for the first month or two. Um, the second component I mentioned was like, um, you know, a lot of people, they want to start a business and so they start just spending money on a bunch of different things. And I think a lot of the process, like you, it's a, it's, you don't need to own it. You don't need to own every piece of the value chain. It's great to like, have a vision of being, you know, vertically integrated or a vision of, you know, owning, you know, X, Y, Z piece of, of the business is like production stack. But, um, you know, a small business is like one or two people doing everything. A large established business is, you know, hundreds or thousands of people that have very specialized roles. And so when you're just starting, like you have to be the accountant, you have to be the lawyer, you have to be the marketer, you have to be the sales team, you have to be, you know, every piece of that value chain. And there's probably some pieces of that that like you shouldn't do or do not know how to do well and finding ways to like hire the right person on an Upwork or a Fiverr and pay them, you know, 50 bucks or a hundred bucks to do a task for you that uh, clearly you don't have a need for like a part-time worker or even a full-time worker, but it's just like building blocks like, oh, I need... I need someone who's more knowledgeable than me on this subject. And it's a one-time three-hour project. Let's go find someone and pay them for that. So using different like online um, tools or like marketplaces to find people to help with a lot of those basic tasks in the beginning, um, I think was really important. Um, Lastly, um, the product we ship, as I mentioned, is perishable. So it needs to come on ice so it can go bad. Um, So when we built the business, we were very intentional about like, Hey, eventually, like well, we want we are a nationwide business, but we need to, if we're going to invest as few dollars as possible to just be viable, how do we do that? We make the food in Chicago and we ship it, um, from Wisconsin. That's where our distribution center is. And the reason we do that is because that's centrally located for the United States. Sure. So I want to, mm-hmm. I want to be, you know, profitable call it in the Midwest and call it break even on the East coast and the West coast. And as we get bigger and as we get critical mass. We'll likely get an additional distribution center somewhere on the East Coast, and get an additional distribution center somewhere on the West Coast, and that'll reduce those shipping costs to give us more Midwest-type margins everywhere. Um, and that was also very intentional because it's like, you know, some some people out the gate, if they maybe raised a bunch of venture money or they have extra money to burn on this, they might say, "Hey, let's do this right away. Let's let's invest in all of these things right away because it'll maximize the profits of the business." And a uh, lot. In my opinion, the right strategy isn't like to be profit maximizing right away. Um, it's, it's to be viable right away uh, with as few dollars as possible, and then you can bring those things in house as the as the business gets bigger, continues to de risk itself, and prove itself that it 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 justifies uh, additional capital investment or owning those pieces of um, production or, or or how it's made. Um, I'll pause there. <laughs>
1: Interesting. So then, uh, when it comes to the creation of the actual barbecue, you said it's made in Chicago. Yeah. Um, not asking for the secret sauce or anything, but like obviously you're not the one out there, you know, Correct. making the. How did uh, How did you figure out that whole that whole scenario? What did, do you have? Like a I don't know how that works.
0: Yeah, no. so we use a white labeler or a contract mm-hmm. manufacturer. Sure. So mm-hmm. like you design your own, you know, you similar to if you're making devices or anything, you know, you design a product a specs you know you can say you know I want this quality meat of this size I want this you know sauce this that so you you work on designing a product then ultimately get someone to uh make that for you at scale that's another example of something where like maybe we'll bring that in-house eventually but it probably didn't make sense uh when you're making a new internet business to I don't know buy an industrial kitchen or, or or a facility where you can make you know hundreds or thousands of racks of ribs at the same time um, but that's something where, again, you you can leverage some scale and I view that as an advantage, not a disadvantage. So, um, you know, their current partners, we're, we're very comfortable and confident that as we increase production, um, they have capacity or the ability to grow with us. And it's not something where I'm every three weeks saying, we need another smoker, we need another smoker, we need another guy to help cook. Like, you know, that's baked into the cost. Um, and that's what, something I like about keeping most things variable or, uh, not in-house, but actually outsourced. Um, cause it gives you that ability to grow a lot faster. If you work with people, um, that historically have worked with people that are much larger than you, uh, you're confident that you can then be large and continue to work with them.
2: Interesting. And, uh, just sticking to the product here, Dimitri and I are both big, uh, Alex Ramosy guys. I don't know if you're Familiar, but uh, familiar. he writes a couple of business. Okay. I, I see his reels <laughs> um, and TikToks
0: and stuff come up all the time.
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm working through his uh, his new book right now. And um, a big thing that he talks about is value proposition. And so you kind of came on, you gave us your pitch on kind of what the product is, um, kind of, you know, the, the market that it's feeding. But um, I'd love to hear you go in a little more detail just about like what is setting your product, your ribs and brisket apart, apart from the whole concept of it, this idea that, you know, you're feeding the the urban markets who can't do it. Um, how else are you trying to distinguish your product and add more value for your customers?
1: And secondary and question, go ahead, You also taste tested, I'm guessing, multiple different options. Oh yeah, over... no, we went through oh, it was yeah. a multi-month
0: <laughs> process to hell yeah. get this thing going. I had like vats of like barbecue sauce just all in my fridge. It was hilarious.
1: Oh.
2: <laughs>
0: um, yeah, so I think at the end of the day, like in food, like there's nothing proprietary about food like you know sure. my grandma has the best cookies cool, your mom has the best you know X,YZ um, at the end of the day, it has to taste great so it has it has to it has to you know taste good and uh, be be priced reasonably because food's always a competitive market um, there are yeah there there are very few like true barriers you can build in food um, so identifying a niche. Where you have a good tasting product is at least the key I, I viewed. And I kind of hit on some of those, those those points earlier, which was like, I think a lot of people like barbecue, but they kind of associate it with traveling for vacation or, you know, I'm in a barbecue hotbed, I'll eat it. They're probably eating it, you know, three times a year, maybe going to the barbecue restaurant in their town once a month. It's something that's viewed as intimidating and they don't want to do it themselves. And it's intimidating for the things we talked about earlier, which like time, equipment, know how um and so just de-risking that uh, makes it interesting and it's like enough to get someone to try it i you think about like even like costco or like most grocery stores often like
1: uh-huh.
0: new vendors are there like giving away free samples like if you think about costco like i mean i don't want to say half the people go for the samples but like some people go and they're like yeah like i got eight samples while i was there you know so um <laughs> another huge component is like just getting people to try the product Cause if you're confident in the product, it's like, if you just have one bite, I'm confident I can get you to buy it. But how do I get you to decide to buy that product? Cause most people when they go grocery shopping, they buy the same stuff every week. You don't go like, Oh, this looks interesting. Let's try all these new things every week. And so, um, in the beginning we did like a lot of in-person pop-ups and events. I like sports bars and things like that. I'd be like, Hey, like, can I kind of come on like NFL Sunday and like, just cook a bunch of ribs and give them to your customers things like that were like people like I knew there was already like an environment for and I also targeted bars that didn't have kitchens so they didn't have food on site so I'd be like oh like people are gonna get hungry they're probably leaving after two or three hours if you have me there with food they might stay an extra hour or two and keep spending money with you on you know booze or whatever so that was what we did in the beginning to kind of like get a lot of people to try the product and then um like anything on the internet you just got to offer promotions and deals and then eventually your customers um become the advocates for the product so once you start getting you know those five star reviews or the guy to write about it in a facebook post or something or tweet about it um it starts the the, the fire starts fueling itself but in the beginning um yeah you got to get creative and basically force people to try the product so uh, I'll, I'll sit outside your bar or restaurant to start cooking ribs and, and give them to people for free and you know, hopefully a year later, a bunch of people said they loved them and they start buying them and they tell their friends and, you know, the spiral happens.
1: I love that. I, I, I think that w- that's a very like, uh I don't want to say grassroots approach to it, but yeah, sort of. Um, it's it's very, it's very true though, because I'm just imagining it from my own perspective. There's a, I had a coworker of mine last year who got started getting into smoking wheat uh, meats. He lived in like the Southwest suburbs of Chicago and I was like, all right, cool dude, but like I live in Chicago, like I live in the city, like, what are you trying to get me to smoke meat? And like, I'll come to your place and do it. But like, I can't do it. So I can definitely see how the initial, you know, thought came to you and how, you know, it it must have been really interesting to see that reaction from people in person on the product. So were you doing these pop ups in New York? Were you doing these in Chicagoland? Where were you doing them?
0: Yeah, so So as I mentioned, um, I live in New York and that was also maybe a fun thing I'll just throw out there too. Like during that code reflection period where I was like trying to build the business and this like that. One of my thoughts too was um, I do not want to be tied to a specific geographic location or a specific desk in a specific building that I need to be at, you know, five days a week from, you know, the hours of nine to X, Y, Z. And so building this outsourced business that really can be managed from the internet Um, despite being a very physical product that is emotional and people like to enjoy in person was a part of the madness or something we were thinking about when designing it so most of the pop-ups were in new york um there there was a specific bar actually called Donnybrook on the lower east side it's like an irish bar I, i mentioned specifically that like doesn't serve food and that was like one of the keys and then like finding you go to one place you have success and then you start telling other bar owners like Hey, I'm doing a pop up every Sunday down in the Lower East Side. Like the customers love it. Um, what do you think about me coming here, you know, once a month or twice a month? And so then we started going to Donnybrook less and adding other bars in those same time slots. So, like, rather than being at Donnybrook every Sunday, I'd be like, I'm at Donnybrook once a month on Sunday, and I'm at three other places on Sunday as well. And then we had some random, like, one off events that, um, I was able to just like tap my network and find ways and do so i have a friend that's like a marine and there's like a marine base in like brooklyn and i went there for uh, an event they call have called like family day where like you bring your like wife and kids or your parents or whatever to the base and you show them around and there's like some vendors so like you know it, it always looks good for the pr too and you're cooking for you know a couple thousand marines and saying and support the truth <laughs> giving everyone ribs so we were able to find some uh, some niche what i'll call like one-off events like that too um, that ended up working like really well for us as well. And then, um, then winter hits and, uh, it's not as fun to, you know, be outside in 20 degree weather cooking. But at that point it was like, we built some momentum for a couple months. And then we really found kind of our groove on the digital marketing side and we were converting better on Facebook and some of these other platforms. And so we just, we just lean into that and it, and it worked.
1: Uh, marketing question. Actually, I'm curious cause I work in paid ads. Do you, um, have a like a paid advertising uh strategy at the moment or is it just organic
0: uh we do have a paid advertise. so um uh, we spend a decent amount of money with meta every month it's like programmatic in terms of like if the ads get mm. placed on facebook or instagram yeah. or if like it's a story or a timeline or you know there's yeah. a couple different ways it can go but they they help choose that
2: uh-huh. and
0: um that was also one of the fun things and terrifying things about building a, a business in an area it's kind of new to me definitely like the whole sure. digital marketing frontier was it was a bit new to me and i think so many people um think that stuff's a lot easier than it is and you'd be like shocked with like how something works amazing for a f- maybe even a few days and then instantly tanks and you have to switch it up again and you have to switch it up again and like yeah at least the pace and velocity i it was not an evergreen strategy where it's like, we found it, set it and forget it. Oh no, it's not set it and forget it. It is you are watching the speedometer of what's my customer acquisition cost, what's my conversion rate once they're on the website, what's the this, what's the that. there's so many metrics, and like as those things are are moving up and down, you're adjusting on the back end. And so um that was probably the biggest learning experience or to date and still is like learning digital marketing. Um and i do use a third party firm i do use other P- i do have some resources on that side that have that have helped us sure. but uh, learning that frontier has been has been crazy and in the beginning too we tried everything so we like you know set an ad budget with you know call it google meta tiktok um, uh, you know most most of the big platforms and then after a couple of weeks we noticed hey facebook's where we're getting all of our traction you feed your winners you cut your losers so we kept increasing the facebook budget um uh, and that's still to date where we we generate most of our most of our uh our sales is, is from facebook um and um, as we get bigger you know we eventually want to learn or master every digital platform but um facebook continues to work and continues to scale so we'll, we'll keep spending more money there week over week or month over month um until it starts slowing down or until it doesn't work and then we'll and then we'll learn something else
2: nice i love hearing about that just because uh this is, a, this is a big topic on the, that we talk about here on the podcast, which just wearing so many different hats early on in the business, being, as you put it, every part of the value chain, which I think is a really nice way of putting it. And I've always told Dimitri, it's like, you, you have the digital marketing background, and that's like a huge plus, more than you think about. And then, you know, he learned the app stuff and kind of the Notion stuff, came fluent with that. And so it's two really big components of his business right off the bat. And, uh, yeah. But, you know, even if he has those two things, as this thing progresses, it's like, you know, he you got to wear like the accounting hat and the lawyer hat totally. and all these other different things. And so I'm curious. Um, I loved hearing about the digital marketing thing. I'd he- love to hear like another one of these hats that you really struggled to wear and kind of how you were able to either work through that or delegate that. Like, because I see here that, it's- you know, if you had to narrow your role, you'd be product design Corporate partnerships, hiring. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's not captured under that. Um,
0: it's kind of digital marketing adjacent, but then also when you realize that like, it's not like we're gonna make one great ad and just like set it and forget it for six months. It's like, yeah. Well, guess we're editing videos every day. Guess we're gonna become a TikTok ad. Like there, there's so much video editing if you have to constantly, you know, do new content. This, this, and that. And so, um, you learn the term
1: ad fatigue, huh?
0: Yeah, whether it was like, who is our target demographic? Like, you know, how do we want to pay? What Are we looking at this as like pay-per-click? Are we looking at it as like, you know, what is the best metric to kind of like ah, yeah, keep define going. ad success? How do we even want to work with these ad platforms? Um, there's that element to it. And then there's the actual production of the content and the uh, making of the content. And so like, um, I once a month did like a content shoot where, um, the people that help me on the marketing side, it's a, it's a company called the, the unwelcome corporation, ironically, um, from Brooklyn. And they'll come and like, we just film for three or four hours and like, I'll say a hundred different hooks, um, you know, like TikTok style hooks or something like that, where it's a sentence or two. And then, you know, it cuts into, you know, one of our body videos or something like that. And, uh, maybe if there's like a holiday coming up, you know, we'll say like, oh, 4th of July is next month. So like, let's do a bunch of 4th of July related content or like. Hey, we're launching brisket in a month. Like, let's start filming some brisket content. Um, sometimes there's themes, and sometimes it's like completely random because you never know what's going to catch fire. So, like, one of our of one of our categories is dad jokes. So, like, we'll just look up a bunch of like really corny, terrible jokes, and I'll like just do twenty of those. And you know, you never know. They might they might they, they sometimes they catch fire. Um, or we'll do like uh, recent customer reviews, and I'll read like I don't know some of like the the recent customer reviews that were positive or interesting or more insightful than others. Um we'll do FAQs. I'll like answer some customer FAQs sometimes on video. Um in addition to the holidays and the sales and the marketing stuff. But we always have like once a month we we come in and we film, I don't know, a hundred to two hundred little clips and then two weeks after that, you know, it's excessive editing. And then after that you have like the master Google spreadsheet that just has a link to thousands of videos with each tab being a different category. And that's kind of how I start the day, saying like all right, well, let's post this video on you know five different platforms: Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube Shorts, um, and let's do that a couple times a day, every day. Um, and you got to feed that monster, so we gotta you know you got to film every month to to replenish, replenish what what is available to post on all of these things.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, it was actually it's funny. Speaking of, I know Chance brought up the hundred million dollar leads book. Um, have you considered doing like a testimonial or, uh, how do I word this, uh, content post system where essentially people could get coupon codes and then organically post this stuff. Uh,
0: that's a good, uh, so like basically have like affiliate marketing links within it or, uh, you-
1: yeah, 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 exactly. Um, something, something along those lines. Yeah. Essentially having like an affiliate structure or something where they would literally, uh, if they submitted a tweet from their own account, right. Um, through like an auth authenticator link, and then they'd get like 10% off for
0: 20%. We have, 20%. um, we do have a rewards program and like yeah. you earn points for, um, like posting about it on Facebook or sure. something like cool. this. And then in addition to that, um, we do have, um, like a refer a friend program where it's like, uh, give 10% off get 15% off. So like we're paying you even more than the discount you're giving. That was like kind of the, the, the scheme there. Um, so we do those two things, but obviously there's, nice. there's so many things you can do in and, in, in rewards and incentives and things like that. But, uh, so I think I mentioned earlier, like we, definitely a core, uh, thesis of ours is like, you want to make the customers, um, your biggest advocates. So people mm-hmm. that are liking the product, we really want to encourage them to talk about the product. Um, and that ties into so many other things too. Like email marketing is huge as well. And like email marketing is cool. Cause it's like one of those tools that like it's value compounds as you get more emails or more people are part of your ecosystem. And so that was something where like, that's actually one of the few things where I'd say, like, it was a lot of like investing in the future where you kind of say like, Hey, I should get this tool. I should start running these campaigns or these flows, these automatic email structures. And we know that like very little is going to come from them the first few months, but you want to have the building blocks in place. So that when you start to have thousands of customers or 10 or, you know, many, many, many customers, that automation and that system and that process is kind of already, already already working its way through. Um, and so we do a lot of stuff where it's like, obviously you can order confirmation with like your FedEx tracking, but like, uh, a couple days, uh, a week after we ask you to, you know, did you like it? Write a review. You know, um, we, we, we hit you with the, the referrals and the reviews and the things like that in the, in a lot of the post-purchase flows. Um, and they convert like they convert. Well, like it's yeah. great. I love, I love seeing it like roughly the same time of the day, a couple five star reviews come through. I'm like, looks like the email hit let's go.
2: <laughs> and just thinking about uh, all these different, you know, digital marketing, email, it's like even watching like the, um, you know, how the ads are performing on a daily basis. I have to imagine this. Well, I guess I, I don't know, but what, what is like the current staff structure? Cause I know you said you outsource a lot and then you're trying to bring things back in maybe yeah. as you grow. But how did they uh how many people did you kind of embark on this journey with as your core team and what does it look like now just kind of want to see that progression.
0: Yeah, so definitely went into this as just a pure one-man band. We will figure it out and just MIH make it happen. Um and then you like quickly realize where you need help or where like what the business actually looks like cuz you kind of have this vision of what you think it looks like and it's like, "Oh, okay, this is going to be like way more overweight, digital marketing than I thought, or, oh, okay, this is gonna be way more yeah. overweight, like, these functions, these skills, these tasks, and um, I actually had a friend who uh, years ago started a, uh, an aloe vera infused water company, it was hmm. called like, detox water it's different flavored waters, you know, it's like a probiotic, it's healthy, all that good stuff. And um, a person that worked for him as a, a marketer, had started her own marketing agency um, two or three years ago. So I knew she had like experience in CPG and like food food and bev. you know, it's like kind of similar. And uh, I just had some familiarity with her. So I reached out to her and was like, I need help. (laughs) Um, Whoa, digital marketing's crazy. (laughs) Um, How does this work? And then like, I started working with her. I, I put her on retainer. Um, and she then progressively started introducing me to some of these other things, it's funny. Like when you start with digital marketing too, it's like so many things you can spend on, you know, it's yeah. like, and so like, that's another thing that I, it's a line I, I took from a, a boss in a previous job, but I love it's, uh, we always want to take the sniper rifle approach rather than the shotgun. And by that, it's like, I want to learn how to do one thing really, 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 really well. And I'll outsource everything else or I won't worry about those other things because I want to be the best at this thing. And you'll choose my product or my service or my company or me because this is what I'm good at. And then once you master that and the, and pe- the market has accepted that you are the master of this, you can then add you know, additional SKUs or bring different roles in-house or do different things. But um, if someone's doing something for Urban Smokehouse, I want them to be the best at it. Um, I know I'm not the best at many things. So those things that I'm not confident in, let's hire people that are really good at those things, um, or, you know, pay them, uh, you know, to do those things. And then eventually when that becomes more of a full-time need, bring those things in house. Um, and so back to your original question, I apologize. Um, you know, we started working with this marketing firm and, um, they really helped us basically with like the content shoots and like mastering call it like Facebook. And then you kind of every three weeks, it's like, do we want to add email? Do we want to add text? Do we want to add SEO? Do you want to And like, then you realize how many flavors and iterations of digital marketing are. And then it's like, well, these ones we can do well, but like these ones, we might recommend you talk to someone else. And so next thing you know, there's other people getting involved in the project who are, again, very contract based, but you know, they they sit in a Slack channel with me and they, you know, send me a bill at the end of the month saying, you know, I sent out eight emails or I sent out, you know, I made 12 email flows for these things now or we sent out the holiday thing and and you pay them on on a, you know, project-based, project-based nature. So there's probably at this point, nine people or so that are involved in the business in a part-time capacity. And they are, you know, small boutique marketing firms or independent contractors that are working with other small businesses, um, for these specialized roles, because, um, it doesn't make sense for us to have someone it doesn't make sense for us to have a salaried person uh, do any one of those. Um, but we're kind of starting to get to that critical point now, where we, we, you know, we might be hiring someone on like the digital marketing side, like a junior level, um, soon. We're, we're thinking about starting to add some of those full time employees um, as the business has grown. But right now, it's I am the only person that is one hundred percent full time on this, and we have nine people that do different things on either digital marketing. Accounting and legal just different tasks uh, that are that are necessary, but again, not uh, forty hours of work necessary for forty hours a week necessary.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I, I think that that's a, probably a good approach to take it as well because um, the how do I word this? Uh, the work that they're doing essentially is like net positive for the most part because the the, the, the definite like issue with um, salaried employees. That people also just in day jobs seems to fail to understand when like, for example, when layoffs occur, like oftentimes what people do, like they, companies do fire people that essentially aren't producing as much revenue as they're getting paid, which is like a very abstract thing for someone who doesn't run out of business to understand. But when you end up from, from your approach, you're doing it from a much less risky standpoint because you're doing it more demand based, more this person will do X thing. X revenue is being generated already. And I just can't work hundred hours and, or they do the thing. They will increase revenue for business, which is like such an ad. Like, I don't know. I've, uh, I don't know if you've ever battled with this with like people you ever talk to. It's like, Oh, why don't you hire this kind of person? It's like, I don't think you like, have you ever like. Dealt Everyone's with advice
0: really? is to spend more money. Everyone's <laughs> advice. when You talk to someone like, Oh, like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing it's, that? Why are you doing this? It's, it's crazy. Like- <laughs> all great ideas but like we need to see that clear path for that turning into dollars um otherwise like we're just not very interested in those types of things and that was another thing that i was fortunate um to kind of in my opinion fortunate to kind of have this framework so when i was working in financial services i always worked for uh, firms that referred to as like family offices so people that um were ultra successful likely built a business sold it for a ton of money and then hire full-time staff to invest those assets Um, and so, you know, the first guy I worked for, Ed Meyer, uh, he was the CEO of a company called Gray Advertising for 36 years, sold it in 2004, made 800 million bucks, basically hired 10 people to say like, you three do, you know, real estate, you two do public equities, you people help me buy businesses. And it was cool when I was there, like I bought a craft brewery, we helped buy some interesting assets. Um. And I worked, for, I worked for people that had a similar, I worked for three three total firms, but all in a similar kind of family office framework. And something that was really like crazy refreshing or non-backward thinking, in my opinion, about all those people is um, it was the opposite of when you hear like venture capital, let's pour unlimited money into this thing, blitz scale, you know, in three years, it'll be really big and really profitable or it'll blow up. You know, they're all heroes or zeros. Mm. Um, these guys were very much so all focused on like, is the thing profitable? Is it cash flowing? We're okay growing a little bit slower, but like we always protect the bottom line. Um, and we also always think about businesses in an infinite time horizon, which is if yeah. you do what's best for the business on an infinite time horizon, that's how you ultimately create the most value. Um, so it's, it's great to like, I joke about like the email marketing thing earlier and like, obviously it's such a small scale, but you know, we're, we're, we're a small business. So you gotta appreciate it. It's like, let's do this now. Because if we put the uh, framework in now, this is actually going to be really powerful. As the customer base gets bigger, it's not that expensive, and there is dramatic like value enhancement to like just start doing it now and like get the flows built, get used to it, like tweak it. Um, it's always better to experiment with a small group rather than a very large group because when it messes up, you know, there's less people that are upset.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: And so, um, I don't know, these are like some like values that we've really tried to apply to like urban smokehouse. So it's like, you know, we talk to investors every once in a while, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud to like still own hundred percent of the thing. Like it's hundred percent bootstrapped. Like it, 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 it does make money. Like it it is profitable. Like it, it, it pays my bills. Um, and like, you don't hear that that often. I feel like these days no. of like, it's profitable in a year, this, this or that. And that's because of those decisions. Like, you know, I told you about in the beginning, it's like we don't own a bunch of heavy equipment. We didn't hire a bunch of people. Like we're very methodical about how we spend each dollar. Um, And if we can't see the ROI, we're not gonna do it. And a lot of these ideas and suggestions are great, but a lot of them are the results of people being like brainwashed in like the VC blitz scaling mindset, where it's like, I love that idea. We'll do it in year three when we are generating, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars or millions of dollars in profit. And we can start doing some of these, you know, spend 10K on that flyer idea might work, it might not, but right now uh, that doesn't make sense. And so like, we love like digital marketing cause I can like have better customer attribution and like see CAC and like, I can turn the ads off and down. Cause, um, you know, they're performing like shit. And so we turn them off and then they start working and so you scale them up. Um, and that, and that makes sense. And then like, as you build, you know, eventually we're going to pursue some other channels and additional products, but um this is how we do it with like the highest level of control and it's funny people think that like if you own it you have control but for us making everything a variable cost is control because being able to turn it on and off like a faucet is how we uh it's how we protect the bottom line
2: <laughs> no and it makes a lot of sense and not only that but um a real theme i'm drawing here from like the you know dimitri and i were cheek to cheek here when you were talking about infinite time horizons just because uh i don't know if you've read uh simon Sinek's infinite game but uh big like compound his, interest oh
1: no i thought you were gonna grab
2: it sorry no that
0: would been great I was, I was tweaking the speaker but uh <laughs> sounds like a book i'd enjoy so i might have to
2: yeah you would you would drive with it for sure just because um it's all about you know thinking like long long term you know not getting caught up in any of that brainwashing like you know blitz scaling as you're talking about here um and it seems like you're always looking for the experts early on and it's like yeah if i can't do this like i'll just you know set really good groundwork by getting somebody to do like accounting and legal or something like that just right from the gate. And so uh, I really appreciate that. Um, I think this is, uh, another topic we talk about a lot here on the podcast is just, um, you know, it's inevitable at this point, but like, what are you doing with AI and virtual assistants in order to, you know, do some of that delegation for you? I know you had a long answer here and I'm curious.
0: Um, Chad, GBT is awesome. Um, it sounds like I mean the way I'm leveraging it right now isn't groundbreaking but it definitely helps like making all of the hooks for like I'm talking about these like monthly content shoots like I'll ask chat I don't come up with the jokes I ask chat GPT to you know write me (laughs) 35 jokes and I'm just reading those off on the script the next the next video shoot um it also helps for like setting templates that you can then like go back and like modify yourself so if you want like you know an off-the-shelf you know privacy policy or an off-the-shelf like t- terms and usage and things like that it's it, it's often great rather than going to pay you know a lawyer a couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks and then you can just read it yourself and like you know tweak it or, or add the the edits that make sense to to your firm or how you view it but it's very good for uh, off-the-shelf solutions that then require very little uh editing afterwards um Definitely, I think there's also a lot of cool stuff in, like, the uh, the AI, like, graphic creation tools. Mm, mid-journey um, like, and whatnot. Yeah, like, we made some, like, cool, weird graphics for, like, 4th of July or, like, you know, like, Uncle Sam's cooking.
1: I saw and, like, this on your website. It's <laughs> on your Instagram, right?
0: Yeah. Like, you can make, like, just, like, cool, interesting, trippy stuff that, like, normally, I'd, I don't know, I'd have to pay someone that's, like, great at Adobe probably a couple hundred bucks to make just one image and you can you can leverage um, a lot of those tools um, very cheaply and very efficiently to make stuff like that. So I'd say we're mostly using it on the creative side, whether it's, you know, coming up with one-liners to say for our TikToks or making cool pictures and graphics that uh, we, again, don't have the skill or know how to make. Um, and then lastly is like the antidotal, like I need a very technical language or term because we're updating our faqs or our xyz policy or or launching a new product and so i'll maybe lean on it um definitely something we'll be looking to to leverage more in the future probably i'm under under it but i think uh most people say that because it's a it's a new frontier we're all figuring it out together still
1: interesting yeah no i, I think that's that's definitely what i use a lot for there's so many different ai tools with, with a lot of the shoots and editing you're doing i definitely would recommend checking out some of that stuff for shorts editing um I'll, opus clip is something that's really cool for taking shoots and like turning it into shorts so i don't know if you've ever heard of that one but um there's Just a lot note of it <laughs> yeah opus yeah opus clip i'm trying to get into of of the other ones for based on what you were saying because there's a lot of really good i don't know what do you guys use to or i'm guessing you outsource the editing right to somebody else
0: we use VA. Uh, so um i also definitely leverage a lot of like vas
1: yep um Mm -hmm. and
0: so like there are a ton of people that um you know live in southeast asia or or, or abroad that um, can also do a ton of these like mundane kind of rinse and repeat type tasks um so a lot of them help on some of the editing stuff um and we've used them for other things too like uh, i'm also not like a super skilled you know coder or something so if i want to do something very technical on the back end of shopify uh, we are built on shopify um, occasionally mm-hmm. I'll have to, you know, find someone on Upwork that can, you know, help me do something. Um, we're in the process of like, um, launching on Amazon as well. So when I was like originally building the Amazon store, um, I reached out to someone that's built, you know, a hundred Amazon stores to, add, to ask some questions on the end. Um, and we'll likely continue to utilize, um, VAs for stuff like that.
1: So I want to hear this from you cause it's, it's interesting and, you know, it's something that I definitely do as well. It's like, I guess the term that I use for it is, uh, is economy leveraged work is yeah. the term that I would use. Why do you do it? I do it. I'm just curious why you do it.
0: Um, versus like, why don't I hire domestic or what do you mean? Cause like, yeah, yeah, yeah I don't
1: no. know how to do it. <laughs> no. Um. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah cause the, like domestic cause, uh, like what versus domestic. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, I think there's definitely um, a cool moral high ground that you could take where you could say, hey, you know, we're, we're, we're leveraging as many people in our own backyard and, you know, boosting our own economy and stuff like this. Um, I think there's also like uh, a cost of that, too. You know, it's funny, you know, probably one of the number one complaints uh, we get on our website is that the products are too expensive. Uh, <laughs> and Interesting. I mean, How that works. Uh, Hard, hard, hard to hard to cut costs if i'm gonna you know add add to my cogs rather than decrease them so you know it cuts both ways i think mm-hmm. i think customers also appreciate like <laughs> making the product uh making the product or service uh cheaper or more available uh you need to leverage cheaper resources or you need to find ways to 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 cut costs and i think you know especially in something like food uh you know an area that's a non-negotiable for us is like we do have a a a gold standard on the food that we want to serve. You know, it, we we want it to be a one-pound portion. We want it to be, you know, non-GMO, allergen-free. We want to have certain attributes to the product that um, make it a bit healthier and make it um, more accessible to people. Um, and so, you know, that's not where we're going to cut costs. Um, where we will cut costs is if I need a three-hour coder um, to do to do a project. And I think also for a lot of these technical skills, um, it's funny because that's probably where there's the biggest gap and what you have to pay for someone to do it domestic versus abroad, because it's a technical still. And so like, if you're going to find some guy that has, I don't know, two years of experience at like a big tech company, um, he's probably going to be demanding a rate that's the equivalent to making, you know, six figures a year versus, um, you know, a VA who can get the job done, you know, almost as well, if not as well uh for a truly a fraction of the cost uh, it's just really hard to justify those costs in my opinion so uh, i likely going to continue to use vas
1: <laughs> okay no i'm just i was just curious i think that's a very similar thought process to me um wasn't a wasn't a trap because uh, often <laughs> what happens on the internet is when people say that there's a there's a split on people's opinion on the morality um but i like only have exclusively worked with people abroad and all of them are like overcompensated versus what they could get paid in their own country, which is like the side of it people don't understand. Like my 22-year-old head video editor is getting paid something he would never get paid like or have the opportunity to that, make for That's the years.
0: coolest thing about it too, honestly. Yeah. Like it's funny, um, the VAs I've worked with, they're all so thankful. I'm yes. Like, they, like, like they if they want- were
1: upset, I'd understand. But people who are <laughs> talking about this are in the U.S. that don't run companies
0: yeah no they are literally so thankful like you are uh yeah you're you're literally making their life better so it's it, it's yeah. it, it's rewarding in that sense too actually it's like a it's a little moral boost for yourself um but no i understand i understand the uh the argument against it but uh i don't know i don't think there's a right
1: or wrong answer i'm not i'm not yeah. i'm not one to judge on it no i'm just i'm glad i'm glad that i got to hear another person's take on it who's who's doing it too
2: you're talking about uh, labeling and some of the, the legal stuff. We've kind of danced around it. I'm curious, just as you know, a law student and somebody who's kind of interested in this field, at least like, uh, what are some of the legal hoops you have to jump through or what have you had to learn? Or is this mostly been something that you've just been able to outsource entirely and just kind of not had to deal with that headache? Because you know, I think Demetrius had, uh, yeah. he, he works, he wears quite a few of the hats. And I think something even like creating an LLC or it's like figuring out like taxes this is like annoying, things that are inevitable, like legal hoops. You got to jump. And so I'm curious. Um,
0: yeah. So it definitely comes in waves. So like legal is definitely one of those things where like I would envision probably being one of the last things we would bring in house because um, yeah. it's it's not constant. Its demand is very spiky. Um, so probably the one of the most important things for us is um, label design. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, the USDA, the FDA, uh, regulate pre-cooked foods. Um, uh, it's, and, and it's, it's niche things you don't realize. So I'll work with like a graphic designer. We'll make the label look pretty. I'll like everything. And then some, and then the legal people will tell me, oh, well for this section, quite literally the font needs to be bigger or it needs to be this ratio relative to other things in terms of like the weight of the product, the nutrition information, the ingredients. Um, there's a lot of things that are very technical on labels. Um, and so that's always a bit of a process when we're designing a new product, going back and forth on the label for, um, two or three weeks and just getting that right. Um, that's really the only constant and consistent thing. All the other legal stuff Mm. is very one time. Like, as you mentioned, like when you're first incorporating, um, do you want to be an LLC? Do you want to be an S corp? Do you want to be a C corp? I mean, heck you're going to be tying an accounting at this point too now. Cause it's like, what are the tax implications? What's the advantage of using this structure versus that? Um, Anytime we're entering a large, you can't really negotiate, like, especially at our size. Like we're not negotiating with meta over like, you know, the agreement between us, but like we can negotiate with like our distribution center. We can negotiate with like um, people that are, are not, you know, crazy multi-hundred billion dollar publicly traded companies. Um, So there is a little bit of legal for that stuff too. But most of the stuff we are doing is like off the shelf software tools and things like that. Like as I'm thinking about it, as I'm talking about it out loud, like the only real place in the value chain we've had like real leverage to negotiate is like with the distribution center. Mm -hmm. Uh, Everyone else has been, you know, someone we kind of just, you know, you you take the terms as does everyone. Um, Because that's, you know, those are quasi monopolies. And if you want to (laughs) <laughs> work with Facebook or Google, you just say yes, um, until we become big. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, that's that's kind of my answer on legal, um, and I think like where legal will probably matter more is um, right now we're obviously D 2 C, so we're we're selling predominantly on our website, but um, we do aspire to eventually um, have some of these products in retail. So. You know ultimately when this goes on the shelves and and in grocery stores they'll probably be you know a, a little bit of a legal need for each of those underlying agreements um with, with 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 large retailers um another idea i have i'm not sure if you guys are familiar with the company omaha steaks but yeah. omaha Steaks is like a very popular very big you know mail order steak company um their market is predominantly corporate gifting i mean they have basically guys that go into every yeah law firm consulting firm financial services firm any any professional services firm that you know every year there's someone sending their top 50 clients or their top 50 suppliers or this this or that a gift um there's probably a pitch for us to do something similar in a barbecue angle um and we haven't built that out yet but that's something that's kind of aspirational additional channels for us but um going back to my other point you know the the sniper rifle versus the shotgun we've got a lot of ideas but right now we're we were for a year a one product, one channel company, ribs internet. Now we're a two product, one channel company. Um, you know, over ten years, I, I do see an opportunity to have many products and be truly omni-channel. But we don't want to. Um, uh, we don't want to start doing too many things where we lose uh, quality of service or quality of product and anything. So we need to we need to really focus on one thing at a time and uh, and get good at it, and then we'll start doing some of that stuff.
1: Nice, I love to hear that. I think the. The 10-year approach is definitely something that's good. Something that, another book that maybe you'd be interested in reading since it does seem like your mental framework kind of aligns with this already is the book uh, Profit First. Have you ever heard of that?
0: I haven't, but uh, it sounds like after this I'm going to need an email from you guys because I think there's we love three, or, three or four book recommendations uh, yeah. that we've we've discussed, so um fall reading might be set through you guys <laughs> yeah
1: no it's uh it's a really good book that i started to use when i started with the business uh the it's essentially just reversing the revenue um expenses equation um or, okay cool yeah and turning it into like it's profit minus uh revenue equals expenses so like you set like i set like a my for example like if anyone knew my revenue number they would knew how much i would take home because i have it set so that like I put aside 15% of top line revenue for taxes. I put aside 15% for profit. I put a cent, uh, sorry, 17.5% for profit, 32.5% for owners' pay, and 35% for opex.
0: Yeah, I think it's great to have. Yeah, it's important to have some framework like that in place. Otherwise, yeah. you're immediately going to be spending too much on everything, or you know, not spending enough, and the business isn't growing. You know, you got to. You gotta uh, you gotta track those numbers and, uh, and know where you want to, them to be and have targets. So um, that makes sense.
1: Yeah.
2: We're coming up on the hour here. I don't want you to get away without digging in on the eating competition question. Oh hell yeah! So, please, please do. Like, are you the are you a big fanatic? Or are you a big partaker? Uh, the, the, uh... The,
0: the the yeah. The joke behind that, or really what happened? I don't know if anyone's familiar with the uh, the television program Man vs. Food, or Adam oh, yeah. or Adam Richman um so when i was in college that was like a popular tv show and um i was also uh, a swimmer in college i was on the swim team so um we had plenty of big appetites and we said hey it'd be really cool if we could get the if we could get the school to pay for us to go to those restaurants where it's like if you eat this you get a t-shirt or like your photo on the wall or this this or that kind of the stuff that adam richmond was doing on man vs. food and so uh We made a a school club that ultimately got some money from the school for, you know, 20 hungry or 30 hungry college students to basically drive around the state and do those things to try to get uh, their picture on the wall or a T-shirt and claimed that, uh, you know, we were the Bates College Competitive Eating Club. So it was fun. Um, And then that turned into also just like doing events on campus. So um, as I mentioned, I did a pig roast once a year, which was cool. Um, We'd host like competitions in the dining hall, things like that. It was it was fun uh but that's the story behind the eating club
1: i love hearing this dude i I was such a big fan of doing that we we chance and i both have done dumb stuff like that i mean i did the cinnamon challenge when i was a kid did like all the local eating tried to like break all the local records for how quickly could you like eat this thing and then you get the free food to go along with it um and people are always surprised because we both ran college uh track and cross country but skinny boys can eat quicker than you think there's
0: like there's three categories there's the like how quick can you do this then there's the like Quantity. The spicy ones which are like pain tolerance That's me. and then there's like the third category which is like just an excessive amount like can you eat this
2: <laughs> yeah there was a, a man versus food he went to i used to live in louisville kentucky and there was like this uh he went to this ice cream shop super big in louisville called comfy cow and he did like 25 scoops of like hefty scoops of ice cream yeah. all the fixins and all that order that with a buddy and i was like this is just unfathomable. But...
0: we did um there's one in fort lauderdale i did a couple times because uh the swim team we used to we had like a training trip in december where we'd go down to florida for two weeks and swim and all the stuff but it was called the uh, the kitchen sink and uh they served it they
2: throw everything at you
0: yeah exactly they served it in like some sort of sink structure thing that like obviously it was it was a bowl and it wasn't the real kitchen sink but they brought out basically a fake sink that you ate the Sunday out of it was cool
1: that's hilarious man. oh that's sweet i love that all right. Well, I'm trying to think. I I think that pretty much wraps up the the questions that I had. But I, I'd love for you to plug whatever you want to plug. Obviously, we know that they can go to Urban Smokehouse Co. or Co. But is there anything else specifically you wanted to plug to close things up?
0: Yeah. Um. Visit the website. Try the product. You guys will love it. Um. We're also Urban. We're also um at Urban Co. On, on pretty much every social media platform instagram TikTok, facebook so the url for the website is the handle for us on um, all major platforms we'll also um when's this episode uh, dropping most likely do we have like, a kind of target date or anything
1: uh it should be september nope sorry it is september uh it should be in october 14th
0: we'll, we'll 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 follow up with the uh the, the lovely host here but we'll we'll put up a code too temporarily so if you type in rise at checkout you can get like 15 percent off for the first two weeks since this episode releases. So uh, nice, nice. we'll trust the dates and we'll, we'll figure them out via email, but uh, we'll, we'll do a code for anyone uh, here listening to to try the product, awesome. which will be RISE, R-I-S-E. RISE will be the code for 15% off.
2: Hell yeah. Fantastic. All right.
1: Well, with that being said, thank you guys so much for listening to episode 171 of the RISE Productive Podcast.
2: And we will see you in the next one. Bye.
0: Thanks, guys. Have a great
1: day. Bye. You too. Peace.
2: Thank you.